everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Neil and Senna's part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have such an awesome guest. She's actually a returning guest, one of my favorite individuals that I have come across since I've started this podcast. Can't believe it's been five years since I started this. She's been an anchor on ESPN Sports Center, also made several appearances on ESPN Radio. She has recently relaunched one of my very favorite projects out there in any genre. It's called The Next Chapter, in which this guest talks to a wide variety of athletes about what it was like transitioning to the next part of their lives after the final whistle. Please welcome back to the pod, Prim Sripapat. Prim, thank you so much for coming back. (laughs) Hi, it's so wonderful to speak with both of you and also to see both of you. We're on Zoom, so it's it's so great to kind of put the face of the name and, and see all of you again. So if the listeners haven't heard our first one, we recorded this, I think it was at the outset, it was at the very beginning of the pandemic. We didn't even do it on Zoom. I think we were doing it by phone or something. It was back March of 2020, I think. Quite a few things have obviously changed, even more so for you personally. Um, Catch us up on everything. I know you've expanded your family. Congrats, big congrats (laughs) to that. Your family moved to a different state. You also went back to school. Tell everybody what the heck's been going on with you. Oh, my. Everybody's life has changed so much since 2020, hasn't it? Um, I think the last time we spoke, I was about to head to Indian Wells. And as many of you remember, they, they had just shut everything down. And we all heard about it via Twitter about the pandemic and the tournament being canceled. But yeah, since then, since 2020, we have moved three times. We have moved from New York City to Hoboken, to Hoboken. And then now we're out in Jersey. We got a house. We had a second kid. I had to bypass coverage of the Tokyo games and because of Tyson. Uh, that's our second one. I started the PhD program um, at Fordham's counseling psychology uh, program. <clears throat> and since then, I don't know, I've taken 20 classes, started my first internship, started working with clients. And now we are in the process of relaunching the next chapter, season two. So, yeah, I guess not much has been going on, you know, <laughs> just like normal life. And then we survived the pandemic. That's the most important thing. We all survived the pandemic somehow. That is the most important thing. Um, gosh, so much going on. I, I want to <laughs> ask, you know, I'm one of the biggest fans of this project. You know, I've talked to you so many times about it. Um, why the pause? And, and thankfully, why the relaunch? That's a great question. So it it just kind of happened naturally. My contract with The Athletic, which is when we initially uh, launched with the the platform that we launched with, I had a contract with them and it was expiring several months after March when the pandemic started. And so there was just a lot of budget cuts. And so to be honest with you, they just didn't, they weren't able to renew my contract and they were kind of letting go of a lot of freelancers. But that that May, I had just started the PhD program. And so I was extremely overwhelmed. I and mean, we were pandemic and COVID. We didn't know what was going on. Our first son, Duke, we didn't have any daycare. So now I was going to class, four or five classes, having to juggle that. We, we were also having to watch him. My husband was working from home. So it just seems kind of like a natural situation where I was like, I, I have to focus on school right now. My, I was just completely overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of media platforms were also doing a lot of juggling as well and trying to figure out 
how to cover a sports world that didn't have sports over the next year. So I think it was kind of the, the natural fit of events, but now, you know, the, I think the time is right. And we've been having conversations with multiple outlets and um, the, the a partnership worked out with Baron Davis and his production studio, uh, Slick Studios, and, you know, Baron, a former NBA player and, and him and his team found a lot of value with the next chapter, which obviously focuses on just how athletes cope with various life transitions, but really primarily how they retire and their transition away from sport. So it was just kind of like a perfect, perfect scenario, I guess. The, the timing had to be right. And I guess the timing, at least for season two, is, has come. <laughs> yeah, the timing is definitely right. And, I, and I'll say this, I mean, listening to the ones on the athletic platform, you had such a great perspective in your questions to the people you had as guests. I'm curious now with the school, with the extra schooling that you've had, do you even look at these newer guests that you're having on and newer recordings that you're doing with a little bit different perspective? I have a totally different perspective. And to be honest with you, David, when I look back, I've actually used a lot of these interviews and applied it to some of my schoolwork and some of the research that I'm doing on um, athletes and transitioning away from sport. So I've actually, over the past like two years, have been dissecting some of these interviews bit by bit, word by word. So I've been, I've watched it. I've looked at their transcripts and it makes, it makes me cringe to like actually listen to some of these older interviews because they, we've recorded these in 2019. So we've been sitting on them for about three years and we didn't want, we wanted to release some of them um, and waited, waited until the time was right because we had landed some really big names. And so when I look back at some of those interviews, I, I just think my, my questioning, my ability to give these guests more space to talk and more space to explore and express themselves is just so much more expansive because now it's funny because like I was coming in with my broadcast hat and I was an anchor and I was a host and coming from that world, like our only job is just to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and give our opinion. But now I'm switching over to a psychological world where our job is just to listen and give people space. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I really noticed. That's so well spoken. And I'll say this, I mean, I'm nowhere near as polished as the two of you, but I'll say a quote from, I think it was a LinkedIn CEO. He said, if if you're not embarrassed by the first version of whatever it is you do, you've already started too late. So you just got to start. Um, speaking in, in, in the tennis world, you know, so many, so many things have occurred since the last time we spoke. You had Naomi Osaka coming out, um, you know, openly talking about her struggles off the court, dealing with her mental mm -hmm. health. Marty Fish, someone who's, you know, a little bit closer to home with you for, again, the listeners. Prim was a very, very good tennis player. Played, played at Duke, uh, full scholarship, trained at Saddlebrook, played and trained with Andy Roddick and Marty Fish and a bunch of other people that you all know. Um, his documentary called Untold, The Breaking Point, if you haven't, if any of you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Even as recently, Darren Cahill, and Steve knows Darren well, Darren Cahill on Instagram you know, posted something where he just needs to kind of take a break. He left Indian Wells a little early. He was helping out Amanda and Isamova. And I know for the Australians, it's been extra hard because they've had such strict quarantines um, going yeah. on outside of tennis. You had Simone Biles. I mean, and this is all just in the, in the last few years. Um, what is your take on, on some of this? Maybe we start at a high level and maybe we can, we can nail it down a little bit more specifically. 
I mean, this is the whole reason why I transitioned from broadcasting and, and went into the mental health space. And it's funny because like I, I had a pulse on the landscape and the intersection of mental health and athletes and sports many, many, many years ago. And I've always had a passion for psychology. In fact, when I was at ESPN, I launched a show called Inside Out in 2015. And it was ESPN's first ever sports psychology show, but I was too green and the landscape was way, way, way too green. And fast forward to the present, now we're starting to, to see a lot of athletes come out and talk about mental health. Um, and I think we're just starting to touch the surface of how important the intersection, intersection is between an athlete's athletic trajectory and identity and how that influences and intersects and overlaps with their personal development. I'll ask Steve this because Steve's covered this sport forever. You know, a lot of this is focused on people who are involved in an individual sport. Not everybody. Kevin Love, he plays a team sport, right? NBA. Steve, in your years of covering this, I mean, it's you're alone out there and you're exposed, right? When things are not going well. I mean, you, I have a bad day at the office. Not a lot of people see that. These people have a bad day in the office. Not only does everyone in the stadium see it, but millions of people on TV. Is it an individual sport? Now, I'll let both of you, I'll start with Steve. Do you think it's the individual sport aspect that really makes this hard? Now, you're talking from the standpoint of the players, obviously, yes. David, right? Yep. Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. They're very, tennis players are so isolated. It's a bit different, obviously, with some of the doubles partnerships because you look at Mike and the Bryan brothers, the twins. I mean, they could lean on each other. They're brothers, they're siblings, they're great friends. So they, 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 they always had that to bolster each other. But when, when people are struggling in singles, I mean, somebody like Osaka is a good example. I mean, yes, she can turn to her agent or her close friends, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a very difficult world for, for all of them. And I'm glad that Prim is exploring the, 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 is delving so deeply into this. Now we need more of that. And I mean, I would want to ask, Prim, I mean, your thoughts on are the athletes, is there less of a stigma now? Are they, I mean, how, how far have we come in terms of, of the athlete not having to be embarrassed? It seems like Naomi in her case may have been a bit uh, that way, which is unfortunate, but how far have we come and how far do we need to go? We've come a far, we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. We've got a really long way to go. I mean, you look at Naomi's trajectory and she mentioned that she even suffered bouts of depression. And she said that since 2018 and what is it? 2022 It's taken her four years to finally go seek some help and, and right. go see a therapist. And she's got a good, really good, strong team. I have had multiple conversations with division one universities, many of them in the power five conferences, and they are still really struggling to figure out how to address a lot of the mental health issues that are emerging um, among their student athlete population. And, you know, it's even conversations of like, okay, we have people that are on staff, like a licensed mental health counselor or a psychologist, but athletes aren't going to get help because they don't even want to walk into that office because they don't want anybody to know that there, that something is wrong. And that stigma still exists among athletes that if you're going to therapy, something's wrong with you. And the reason why it exists is because the sport culture is so uniquely different is that there is this hyper-masculine culture, the, this hyper-masculine mindset of like, we have to be strong, we have to be powerful, we 
We don't get emotional. We have to push through. And what that does is is that actually obstructs their help seeking tendencies. So that's why it is so hard. And, you know, if you're looking at, I think tenants is a little different because you don't really have to answer to any head coach or um, team, but for, let's say, for example, NFL players and NBA players, they really struggle because they have issues going to get help within the team because they really feel like a lot of their coaches and the brass are going to hold it against them, especially during contract time. So no question, the stigma still exists. We've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. Yeah, it's an interesting point you're making, though, because the, the tennis players do have to answer to the media. I know a little bit about that, having attended <laughs> press conferences, and it, it's a tough spot to be in for them coming in after devastating losses to after answer questions about slumps, leads that they've blown, et cetera. So I do think that might be the hardest part and they're obligated. And of course that was at the heart of the Naomi controversy was her not wanting to do the press conferences and, and feeling like she couldn't deal with that at that time at Roland Garros. So I think that that's the area where the tennis players maybe struggle. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, my, my, it's hard because everyone's on site and things are timely. I, I almost wish there was a little bit more time where people who are coming off a tough loss can digest what happened a little bit before speaking to the press and then their quotes or reactions get exposed out to the world. With that, um, you're you're really close still with Andy Roddick and, and the documentary with Marty was so powerful. Have you talked to, to, you know, the people who you grew up with and trained? I'm sure you've talked with Andy uh, a little bit about that documentary. Um, what are his thoughts? And I, I, I know he's got to be so proud of Marty for, for doing what he, what he's doing. Yeah. And it was really awesome to watch that documentary. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I actually talked to Marty many, many years ago about his anxiety attacks. Uh, I think we had a conversation back in 2017 and I was talking to him about my show that we were trying to launch and I wanted to interview him and we just really never got into it. And, uh, and it's, it's really awesome and interesting to see um, what Marty has gone through. And I'm so proud of him for coming out and being a mental health ambassador. Like, it's just great because we, we really, I've known Andy since we were 12 years old and, and then actually Marty came, Andy had left Saddlebrook by the time Marty came. And then Marty came when we were about like 15, 16. And then we, we traveled together with um, Team USA. So we went to like South America and parts of Italy and stuff. So, so I knew the both of them separately. Um, but nonetheless, we were, we were all just kind of like, you know, kids and trying to make it through this world. And then fast forward to 2012, when Marty had that, that moment and pulling out of the US Open against Roger Federer. And then, you know, just being able to talk with him about how he was processing the pressure and the pressure cooker situation, the expectations of rising and finally getting to the top 10 and it just feeling like it was just too much for him. And then how that kind of precipitated a lot of his mental health issues is just, is obviously really unfortunate, but I think he's doing such an amazing thing by like sharing his story. There's nothing better than going out there and sharing his story and for Andy to, to come on and join uh, the conversation. It, it's funny also too, because I, I was talking to some of my friends from the Academy, because I said, I, there was a Netflix producer that had reached out to me during the pandemic. I was like, hey, we're doing a Netflix documentary on Marty. And for what, I think it was just, things were so crazy. I had forgotten to 
respond because I'm a complete idiot. And, and then I think he was asking for pictures. So, you know what? I missed my opportunity to be on Netflix. I hope it comes back one day. <laughs> well, Steve, Steve and I will do our best to try to get you. You may have missed the Netflix issue, but Steve and I will do our best to, to pub you up on yes. this. Um, you know, the, the, the support system is so strong. What was so powerful in that documentary for me was I believe they were in the cab or something going to the match. And Marty was freaking out right before that match with Ro- with Roger. And he didn't, he didn't see a way out. Right. And his way and freaking out is not the, not the professional term. I'm not licensed in this. You are. So I apologize for using a term like that, but the fact that his wife, and I believe they were married at the time, uh, it may have been dating yeah, or engaged so. or married, but his, his, what his wife now said at that time, you know, you don't have to play. And he, that never even registered. And like, as soon as she said that Marty, I remember in his documentary kind of said like, Whoa, like he didn't even know that was an option. And like uh, a lot of stuff, just a lot of like uh, the world uh, got lifted from his shoulders a little bit. I just thought that was extremely powerful. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, Prim, it, it, I can I can understand why he would have felt that way though, because that's a sign of surrender. And and these these their athletes these athletes are so proud. So it wouldn't have occurred to Marty because you go out there to compete and and you're taught that you have to do it even if you're if you step out on the court, you have no excuses, and it's all about sucking it up for lack of lack of a better uh, thought right now and just summoning it from within. And so I can see why. I can see why David, why why he would have had that feeling, and it, and it took his his wife to sort of awaken him to the to the, the the idea that he didn't have to feel that trapped. Is that right, Prim? Do you agree with that? I do. I think there's 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 two parts of this conversation that I think are really important, and this focuses on some of the research that I've that I've done, and then I'm also doing. So, I think the professional athlete experience is changing, as we know compared to past generations. So there, there was one study that was done on like hundreds of uh, professional athletes. And what they found was that an elite athlete experiences as many as 640 distinct stressors over the course of their career. And what that ends up doing um, is it actually makes them a little bit more predispositioned and increases their likelihood of suffering mental health symptoms and disorders, including anxiety and depression. A lot of that has to do with the pressure, media, social media, more attention, expectations, more money than ever before, which also ties into more expectations, um, more injuries because athletes are starting much sooner and they're training year round rather than seasonally. So you have all these things. Um, so, So kind of offering that as a backdrop, we might begin to understand why athletes are, are suffering some mental health issues because it's just different than it was many, many years ago. Now, on the other side of it, you have Marty who, you know, for one reason or another, like a, a constellation of factors that have led him to this moment. And I applaud him and his wife for choosing, you know what, we don't have to do this. You don't have to play. Now, the interesting thing is, is that for anxiety and also panic disorder or panic attacks, the one thing that actually perpetuates and exacerbates the situation is avoidance. And so by avoiding anxiety and running away, people tend to use that as a coping mechanism as trying to avoid and run away from that anxiety. 
And then they begin to avoid other situations and other people and other things. And it actually makes it worse. And it will could even lead to more panic attacks or anxiety attacks. And so when they, if they ever do go to therapy, the one thing that they actually have to address is highlighting the avoidance and teaching the client to sit with these physical symptoms and to face the anxiety head on. So fast forward many years later, Marty goes back and he says, you know what? I'm going to play this match. And I'm, I may have um, some symptoms of anxiety, but that when my heart is racing, I thought before I was having a heart attack, but I now realize that the symptoms of a heart attack are actually very different from an anxiety attack. I'm just having an anxiety attack. And so that's how you're able to work through it. So it's just kind of like you have like these two different forces working. I think both of those are really important to highlight. So, so interesting. And, and <laughs> so great that you're on and have this background to offer. Uh, and then we're all so proud of Marty for doing what he's doing. We're all huge, mm-hmm. huge fans of Marty. So kudos to him. Um, as you as you set to relaunch any you don't feel obligated, but are there any guests that you can preview that uh, you're looking forward to having on? I, I, I think there's a second one with Andy that may be coming on, too. You are right. We've been, <laughs> I feel like Andy is just going to kill me because I've been, he doesn't care. He's got bigger things to do, but we, we interviewed him. I interviewed him back in 2019. So I was in North Carolina uh, for something and we were able to link up and we sat there for maybe an hour and a half. And it was such an awesome conversation. And we had talked about things about our childhood that we had not really talked about. Um, so, so Andy's going to be on there. I also have our next, uh, you all, all of you probably saw the, the first episode. And if you haven't, please do listen to it. But it was with top 40 players, Sergei Stakovsky, who is over in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. Um, and that was a great episode with him. And, uh, we also have former NBA and Duke player, also current assistant coach for the Duke men's basketball team, Nolan Smith. NHL All-Star, Theo Fleury, we'll have an Olympic rower, Megan O'Leary, Robert Smith, former NFL linebacker, and also Greg Oden. That's a pretty big one, the former number one uh, overall pick many years ago. And, and that's, a, that's a tremendous conversation with, uh, with Greg because he really publicly for the first time talks about the seven surgeries that he had over the course of his career um, and, and some of the issues that he suffered in terms of substance, substance abuse and also being bulimic when he was, uh, going through his MBA career. So yeah. we've got a lot of, yeah, we have. Greg had a remarkable career at Ohio state too. I know he's been dealt deal when he went to the NBA, he, uh, ton of injuries and, and stuff yeah. that you just listed as well, but we'll all look forward to staying tuned here and all those great guests you got, you know, there, there's the quote, the, my favorite quote and, it, the quote occurred before you started this project. We talked about it on our first conversation. I'll say it again, just because as soon as you initially launched this project, the next chapter, I'm like, this quote just jumped at me and said, this is, this is Prim's project. And it's from my guy. Steve knows he's my guy. It's from Andre, Andre Agassi. And, and, his, and his quote is, athletes spend 100% of their time preparing for one third of their lives and 0% of their time preparing for the other two thirds of their lives. And that's such a powerful quote. It's also so true on a lot of these young athletes, they start priming for this professional career, whatever it is, so young and so young, and they don't have anything outside their uh, expertise and their athletic endeavors that once that's over, they're lost. And this 
project speaks so much to that. I know you love that quote too. If you can add anything to it, uh, please do so. I mean, that quote right there, it, it just kind of highlights the whole reason why I'm spending way too much time back in grad school and why I'm spending all this time in, in school and studying and research um, because I don't want athletes to have to go through that. Like that is my role is to, to be a resource and to help others be a resource for athletes. So they are able to develop a much sounder foundation. So what they, when they transition from sport, they are able to kind of lean into their skills and transfer them to other areas. So they don't feel completely, so they don't feel completely lost. And speaking of Andre Agassi, I thought you would enjoy that I bring out his book. And you know, what's funny, I was in Miami as a reporter for CBS when he came through and he did his uh, book tour. And I loved, I loved his book. And the part about him having a love-hate relationship with tennis, at that time, I had just began my conversation with myself about what tennis meant to me. And he was the first athlete that ever even broached the idea that an athlete could also hate their sport. And I appreciated that from him. He's the only athlete that I've ever gotten an autograph from in my entire broadcasting career. And, and, and really in the past, like 30 years. So well, I think the only thing left is to have him on the show. I don't know if he's going to be able to hear this episode, but we got to get him on your show. So Andre, if you're listening, give Prim a call. Hey, this was Steffi too. Yeah. Right. Why not? (laughs) Um, this, this is such an interesting conversation to me. Um, you know, you know how much I love your project before, uh, before we end, Steve, I'll, I'll give it to you. Any final thoughts before we uh, end it with Grim? Oh, I, 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 no, not really. I would just say that, that I, I think I, I learned a lot in the last, what, whatever it was, 27 minutes. And thank you very much for joining us today. And it, for me, it was enlightening. Oh, Absolutely enlightening. And, and just keep doing what you're doing for him, because I think, uh, you know, I speak on behalf of many others that we love everything that you're doing with this project. And, and uh, if you have any free time, take a deep breath, chill on the couch and because you are just go, go, go. And we love it. And uh, we hope uh, you keep doing all these amazing things. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on you guys. It was such a joy to speak with the both of you.